The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Friend of the Lisa Show, interior designer, wedding planner, and artist, Carrie Ann Rhodes with us today to talk about my favorite topic, food, right? (laughs) More specifically, no more guilty pleasures with food preparation. So we're going to take a look, like a really good look at good, positive, wonderful, delicious food. Yes. (laughs) And preparation without the guilt, without the do nots and all that shame. This is a tall order to do. This is something that a lot of people talk about. Uh, So we're going to solve it today, I think. (laughs) And we're we're never sick of food. We just had Thanksgiving in our real life timeline and we're headed toward the holidays. And and we look forward to the eating part. We and do. So, and it's so important to the connection, the family bonding. Traditions. Also the traditions, the family connection, uh, you know. And so this idea of having pure enjoyment and balance with this, so you don't feel horrible after uh, the you know the end of the season. But also, you know, there's been different times in our lives. I think when we all sort of overindulge, and then we feel like we have to make overcorrect or make up for it. And so we create in our own mind these issues around food. Definitely, it's definitely self-created. I agree. Okay, so Carrie, you set this up for us because you really wanted to talk about this, and I. I want to know why, what your why is. Well, I lo- love food <laughs> and have been, you know, I've dipped my toe into the food industry kind of all my life. Like I cooked for my family starting at age 14 and. Oh, wow. Because my mom was sick of it. I mean, mom. purely she was like, you no want to do it? No judgment here. Yeah. Yeah. Do great. It. Um, and I enjoyed it. And then I studied food in college for a little while. Um, that was one of the avenues I explored. And then I've cooked professionally. Um both in homes as a private chef and then like catered for, you know, smallish events. I'm not like some huge caterer, but I love food and I love um, the connection that food brings us to family and to traditions and to culture. And so, yeah, I just have this love affair with food, but I also kind of, I push back and I kind of, I kind of resent the changing attitudes towards food. Like remember in the eighties, they told us like pasta is healthy. Yeah. And so like, well, and I'm using potatoes. that word and baked potatoes. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to eat a quote unquote healthy meal, you'd have this giant, you know, plate of pasta. And then we kind of get into the 90s and like then suddenly carbohydrates become this huge enemy and we stop eating pasta. We stop eating bread. And I'm talking about American culture. This this sure. really is kind of. <laughs> This really is kind of unique. Well, and it's a privileged culture and it's to be able to very <laughs> privileged culture cut out entire food groups. And that privilege—that's exactly what I—I I was listening to um, an interview with Nigella Lawson, and she is a food creator. She writes recipes. She's a person, a food personality in um, in England. And I was listening to this interview as she was talking about a book, and I wish I could remember which one it was. But she said um, she doesn't believe in guilty pleasure. And she sees pleasure as an expression of gratitude. And wow, that stopped me in my tracks. And I thought about that for days. And I, and I really kind of pondered that idea of, of reframing things that we love and things that we have access to. And instead of self-creating this kind of like culture of guilt and shame around food or what we eat or what we do before or after we eat, we really have this opportunity in this privileged culture to see it as gratitude and not as obligation or 
you only deserve food if, that kind mm. of thing. We are not there <laughs> in our American culture no. where we see pleasure as an expression of gratitude. But what a beautiful way to be able to enjoy the things that, that you love. I have noticed uh, on social media specifically sort of a backlash of, you know, people making fun of, you know, uh, simple pleasures, you know, like <laughs> the mom who loves scented candles or, you know, whatever. And there's been this backlash that's that's that I that I like, that I appreciate, where people are saying, why are you making fun of something that brings someone joy? Like, leave right. them alone. Let them have their pumpkin spice latte or I don't know, you know, the things that we always just think are so basic or uh, need to be made fun of because right. everybody They're loves so them or whatever. They're so common. And to extend that, though, to say, no, not only just let them enjoy it, but also, like, play into it as, as a form of, of gratitude. There's been so many different scientific studies about how gratitude makes you happy. Yes. And how <laughs> and, it affects your mental health. Yes. And so if this is another expression of it, wow, this is a great idea. Yes. And it, and it really, it really can change um, attitude. And in your season of talking about self-care and, and you've talked about mental health and how do we take care of ourselves, this idea of accepting pleasure and, in, and enjoying it in an attitude. Oh, I just said attitude of gratitude. I'm sorry. No, I love it. It's great. Um, it rhymes. It's catchy. <laughs> Listen. I didn't even mean to. That but, brings me joy. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just offered some pleasure. I had I had a friend a few years ago. This is when my babies were really kind of small. So I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And she was she had gone through a divorce and was really like in this kind of period of, of re-examining self-care and kind of reorganizing her life. And she was being helped by a friend who was a life coach. And it really um, motivated her and she found all this enthusiasm for wanting to help others. And so she kind of put out to some of her friends like, would you come and let me kind of interview you? And she was kind of examining, like, do I want to kind of go this route and help other people in that sort of way? So I was like, sure, you know, I'll go hang out with you and have lunch. And she asked me a question during that session, though, that just threw me off. And it, it was regarding pleasure. She asked me, what brings you pleasure? And I was stumped. And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. But it was it was an indicator of where I was with my own mental health, where mm. I was in kind of <laughs> accepting and participating in self-care or even just kind of self-awareness. And we're not, when, when people say pleasure, we're not talking necessarily about like carnal pleasures or about even like physical pleasures necessarily. Um, but it really gave me that kind of <laughs> pondering I needed to self-evaluate and go, Am I doing anything in my life that brings me kind of pleasure? And and I and that kind of pleasure leads to joy. That kind of pleasure where you're accepting your, the, the gratitude in your life. And I just I was I was absent. So even things that you know did bring me pleasure, like my children and my husband and my life in general, mm -hmm. I kind of committed to reframing all of that because if someone asks you what brings you pleasure and you can't answer, yeah. Something is off. You need to take a step back. Take a step back and <laughs> think, about at your, think about your life. So what did you do? Well, it wasn't until I heard Nigella Lawson frame it in, the, in those words that, like, she put words to what I had kind of 
come to. And so that's, I think that's why her work, when I heard her describe it that way, that pleasure can be a form of gratitude, that it kind of like cemented it. Like those are the words to fit what I've been searching for and what I've been trying to accomplish. And it was kind of like, she like tied a bow on it and I felt at peace. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we solved I'm it. I'm not like, very I articulate. This. <laughs> no, I, I think that when we recognize, yeah, what other people say and mm-hmm. how they express it and and it it switches something in us, right? Like a, a light bulb moment. Yes. Of, yes, that is exactly what I think. I am connecting with somebody. So there, I mean, there are ways to do this and as we're talking about food. There are ways to do this. And these ideas didn't come from me. Like, I'm, I'm excited to share them because they came from someone else and they resonated with me. Um, there, There's a dietitian who I follow on social media. Her name is Katie Tuning. And she's cute. And I've followed her for a couple of years. And she is of this kind of modern take of of diet talk mm-hmm. where we don't, you don't couch food in terms of healthy and unhealthy. Like they're really terming a food and or making it a good or bad, like assigning morality to a food is really a privileged position. Um, food fuels us. And I know this is kind of like trite or kind of minimizing it, but there are people out there who literally like a bag of chips would make the difference in their health for that day. Sure. Like eating or not or eating. not eating, right. And so it's kind of, it's really selfish and kind of gross for us to like moralize than food and and kind of make mm-hmm. judgments about what people eat or how they eat it. It really comes down to accessibility, um, opportunity. And so um, while some foods over time would increase our body's like healthiness in terms of, you know, cholesterol levels and sodium levels and things like that, um, no food truly is like bad for you. It all comes down to, you know, moderation and what your body needs and what you have access to. But we can, we have seen in our kind of American diet culture how food has been weaponized, like carbs are bad. People that deny themselves all sorts of food groups, like whole groups of food. And that in and of itself becomes dangerous. That's dangerous to their health. So while we may look at them and see that, oh, they're only eating this or they're only eating that, that may not be healthy for that person. And so it may have become a crutch or like a, you know, it may be like a mental health problem. Right. But they need that type of control. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, there's just so many different facets to it. And I always think about like the motivation behind, you know, in the food industry and profit margins and what. Sure. I mean, it, it can get really complicated if you stop and think about, you know, why is it that everything was low fat and now you have to have full fat? And, right. And, and who's determining this? And, and <laughs> what is, yeah, no. <laughs> Chef Boyardee, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just imagine, yeah, the boardroom where we're all just like trying to figure it out. Like, what are we pushing next? And and having that go in and out of style has, I think, robbed us of the enjoyment of food because it's made it so complicated. Yes. Because I know that I'm like, okay, I want to feel healthy, so I want to eat healthy. But like, wait, is this, is butter healthy? No. Wait, but I can't, margarine I can't isn't good, but like, what, what do we do? 
pyramid, what should I look Wait, at? Egg, because remember when eggs were bad and now eggs are great? And, yeah, eat your eggs. And then, then it was like, no, have your egg whites. And then everybody was like, no, eat the whole egg. And I'm like, this is so, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> it's just as faddish as, you know, clothing and, you know, electronics or whatever, food. And that's an important thing to keep in mind, I guess, is we're looking at what we want to eat and what, you know, what foods we're interested in. Like, am I being influenced by We are all fads? being influenced for sure. And, and so that's why I like that you want to talk about how we can bring the pleasure back into that without the shame. So how do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a big fan of of tradition and cultural tradition, whatever culture you come from. Um, even if you feel like your family doesn't have like a strong like ethnic culture or um, something like that, like my, my family identifies as Swedish, and so our food, our celebratory like food culture and like party. Christmas mm-hmm. party thing. It's all very kind of Swedish influenced. Um, also with some kind of English uh, recipes kind of thrown in there. And so I think it's, I think that food is a great unifier. Um, even if it's a food, there are foods that my family eats only once a year, which, you know, if you think about that as a person who like meal plans or is the main food prep person for the family and you think, why are we only eating that like once a year if it's so good? I don't, you know. Sometimes it's because of the preparation, right? Sometimes it's the preparation. So for Christmas, I'll make a Finnish pula bread, like as with cardamom and stuff. And it's like, you have to, there's steps. You have to scald the milk and stuff like that, which for me is like, you know. I'm only scalding milk once Once a a year. year. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. (laughs) (laughs) But those, the memories kind of created around those flavors like cardamom. I love cardamom, but that's not a spice that's common in typical American cuisine. But it's definitely Scandinavian. And Mm -hmm. so as we're celebrating our Scandinavian heritage in in December or whatever, you know, we're going to eat cardamom buns and enjoy those flavors. And then, you know, we leave off. And maybe it's because we don't eat them all the time that they remain special, that they Mm -hmm. remain um, something to look forward to. I'd get sick of cardamom buns if I ate them every day. Yeah, same. (laughs) Just be regular. You know, it's interesting when we talk about food that we talk about tradition right from the, the get-go of, of foods that bring us comfort, foods that have an emotional connection, that bring back a memory, remind us of a person, a time in life, a place. And I think that that can be used a little bit more intentionally, I think, in our lives to sort of counteract that kind of shame that we feel around food or food preparation. Um, have you found that to be the case? How have you used that intentionally to be able to to really, um, you know, highlight that pleasure in food? It's when it's kind of um, encircled by this idea of tradition, it's really easy. That's an easy kind of jump then to gratitude because we feel grateful for, you know, our family. It's a time to kind of, you know, think of our past and think of the people that got us to this point. Or And so that's having it be kind of couched in that tradition mm-hmm. is kind of an easy flow into then intentionally thinking like, I am grateful for what got me to this point. I'm grateful we have access to this right now and that, you know, we have it in abundance, hopefully. Other ways that we can kind of change our mindset uh, and, and push it towards gratitude in our everyday life is kind of practice what you preach. So as I am purposely trying to 
changed my mindset about what food is, you know, trying not to moralize food, mm-hmm. like good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. Uh, I'm, as a mom right now, I need to make sure that that's kind of translating then to my children. I don't want my children to have these kind of hangups with food. I think my mom came from, my mom was kind of this first wave feminist generation where they recognized, um, you know, women, women's autonomy of body and like not, you know, treating our bodies like objects and, and kind of being in charge. And that translated for her as a mother. She never talked to us about diet culture. She never talked to us about our weight or appearance in terms of like healthy or unhealthy. She, of course, she always encouraged like activity and, um, you know, as the person that bought, brought food into the house, like she had to make choices about, you know, what do I want to make available to my kids? And she did a really good job of not moralizing food for us. And and that, I mean, that kind of influence you have on a child is really important. Absolutely. I mean, that's where it comes from. Um, it, yes, it comes from the media. Yes, it comes from kind of that big cloud of corporation that's telling us what to eat and what not to eat. But think about it about it in these days in terms of streaming services. What access to media do we have? We don't watch commercials anymore. Yeah. We are not seeing those commercials that, you know, say beef, it's what's for dinner. You know, we're we're missing out on like those huge campaigns that kind of informed food trends in the past. And so where is that coming from? So um along those lines, then it would behoove people that are feeding other people to also be aware of what they're looking at on social media. Like, who are they following? Sure, I wouldn't have considered that. You know, like, what what kind of uh, food influences or diet culture influences are you or, you know, the people that you have stewardship over... What are they having access to? And do you do you know what they're saying? Mm. There's a lot of insidious, you know, um, things that it, it seems innocent or it seems like an aesthetic when really it can be really harmful to like mental health or it can be harmful to like your thought patterns about yourself or what you put in and what you do and how you look. And it all translates that. And then that becomes anxiety and and yeah, so much that. tension. That's and too much. At the dinner table, we want family time. We want enjoyment. We want calmness. <laughs> right. We want pleasure. <laughs> we want we want that to be a pleasurable time. I had a friend growing up who had a strange family dynamic. It was a little bit dysfunctional and dinner time be, was the most stressful time of day. Oh shoot. And it just was parental dynamic. Like the parents were like, we're eating dinner together, but like <laughs> there was a really tense <laughs> dynamic. But it's going to come at a cost. It came at a cost. <laughs> um, she became a very picky eater because mm. dinner was so stressful. She didn't want to eat. And so it did, it informed like what she ate, how she felt about things. Like, oh, I'm sure. And that affects the rest how of your, not? your life. Uh, you know, on a practical level, like on an everyday level, I'm thinking, how does this translate? And uh, in my instance, I am in charge of the food and and the food that I bring into the house, what I want to eat. And so I just make choices based on me, (laughs) (laughs) which is very different than it would have been, say, 10 years ago. Sure. Did you have a picky eater? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Let's just talk for the next 20 minutes. I have the pickiest eater. (sighs) Two of them, actually. Anyway, and it's so it's really hard. And I was always taught that like, okay, if you just present a food, you know, 30 times or 40 times or whatever, they'll right, try we're it. Told. <laughs> we're told that. I'm here to say that I don't think I 
my scientific research has proved that that is not, it doesn't work. And I see, and even like I eat healthy. And I also indulge in things and see even the words Mm -hmm. that I'm using, you know, (laughs) moralized food. So that's where I am. But uh, (coughs) there is a lot of pleasure in food for me. Sometimes I'm like, this is all I have. So, (laughs) you know, I don't want to take it away from me, the simple pleasure. And And you shouldn't. No. And I find myself that I do crave lots of different kinds of food. Like I, You know what I mean? Like, Like I do crave you know, salads with lots of junk in them that I love. And I do crave protein and I crave nacho cheese Doritos. So I crave lots of things. And so I have found in the way that I like to to eat is to, I, I don't like deny myself anything because I've done that before with mm-hmm. diet culture of, of, okay, if I need to lose weight, then I, I can't have this and I can't have. Right. And as soon as I do that, that that's all I can think about. And that's all <laughs> right. I want is a hot fudge brownie sundae. Like, because I can't have it or whatever. And and it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Always. But now the way that I live my life is, is you can have whatever you want, Lisa. You can eat whatever you want. So what do you really want? You know, mm-hmm. and knowing that it's available somehow like calms my brain. Right. And and, and um, so I'm wondering this idea, you know, this this has taken me a long time, you know, to sort of get there. But on a practical everyday level, when I say to my teenagers who live at home, here's what I made for dinner, nine out of ten times they say, I'm not hungry, oh, I'm not interested. And we'll still sit down and have dinner together because that's a family value that I have. And Mm -hmm. so we eat and talk about our day or whatever, but they don't want to eat what I cook. And they will, there are other options that they make on their own or whatever. But I do worry that this idea of, hey, have whatever you want, won't serve them as adults. Um, and, and, And I worry that they're not getting the new nutrients they need. So how <laughs> right. do you balance this idea of, yes, you don't want to vilify food as good or bad, but especially growing kids mm-hmm. need, they need fruits and vegetables and they need lean protein and they need, you know, they, <laughs> and calcium. Like they need all of this stuff. Actual and nutrients. I actually worry about, about that. And, and without you, trying to give them food you issues. You truly should. I, I have a, I have a 10 year old son who, would solely subsist on like jarred jalapenos, pickled jalapenos. Oh my gosh. Your or ta- and Takis. Yes. Now Takis are like, I'm sorry, but those are not healthy. Those colors do not. No. The blue you Takis. Ha- you shouldn't eat blue dye. Oh my heavens. Okay. All right. I think, I think knowing you, my friend, <laughs> I know that you are, when you're making those dinners that your children don't want to eat, you're at least, you're modeling. I'm the- making it with spite. <laughs> Just a little sprinkle of it, of resentment. It's better that than MSG. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I'm cu- I'm cutting you're, and chopping, and I'm but thinking. You're, but with love. you're modeling. You were modeling okay, okay. good behavior, and and I don't think we can like take that for granted. Truly, of here are meals. Like if you think back to meals that your mother made you, and maybe you know you didn't love everything mm-hmm. your mother or father made, but like they probably modeled some decent food. Like there was a vegetable there. They they were trying to provide like variety. I think, I think variety is, um, instead of kind of saying healthy, unhealthy, good, bad, you know, think in terms of variety. Am I getting a variety? I like that. That is an easier way to sort of uh, 
categorize it. Yeah, because one of our hugest opportunities and privileges in our culture right now is choice. One of the, one of the most pleasurable things about food is that we have a choice and that we can choose to eat um, the blue Takis or we can choose to eat, you know, a granola bar or, or peanut butter toast. It's peanut, peanut butter, butter toast. toast. Which, listen, I'm not, I love a good peanut butter toast. Dinner, yes. But like... How many times a week can you eat peanut butter toast? <laughs> I wish my kids would eat it more for dinner. Okay. Um, but just th- that that choice that we have is part of our privilege. And, and yeah. the variety that's available is part of the pleasure of being able to choose, you know, what what you want. And and as, a, as the human body, like, what a beautiful, like, what a beautiful sense that is to be able of taste. Like, think of think of all the different th- kind of things that we can taste. And when you're thinking of a craving, like craving those Doritos, like, yeah, you're craving the texture and you're craving that tang. And mm-hmm. and like, what a what a beautiful, magnificent kind of like thing that we have. I've never <laughs> thought of it as beautiful and magnificent, but it oh, is. It is. You're right. And then when you have that first chip, you're like, oh, that. F- Life's great. Life is so good. And, you know, dogs, they they can smell 10 times better than we can, but they can only taste one-fifth of as much as we can. Yeah. And that's why they eat really disgusting things, right? Because they don't care. They can't can't taste it. But as humans, I think we have a very um, sophisticated—this is a very— complicated, mm-hmm. in-depth sense that we have that we can taste all these different things. And I think that choice and variety is can really guide you. I know I know that in the past, like when when I've, you know, for health reasons, done or not done or partaken and not partaken of certain foods or whatever, you know, you hear things like, well, when when you have that afternoon slump and you're you're craving that, you know, you're craving that sugar, yeah. that's the time to deny yourself. And um Yeah, that's what we all think. That's what we all think. Yeah. And and maybe for your individual health, like yeah, maybe if you're working on something, you've got a goal, whatever, like that's your thing, totally cool. But I'm thinking like, maybe I need that, not just like physically, that that small thing. It's that little, you know, square of Snickers is not going to make or break my life. But in that moment, do I mentally need to treat myself? Mm-hmm. To get myself just through that afternoon, to get, you know, get to get through carpool pickup and to get, you know, homework and the whole thing going. Um, that's okay. Like, why, yeah, why would you deny yourself of that. that little opportunity? And you said something earlier, you used the word intention, which is a, which is a great word. I love hearing that word on the Lisa show. And <laughs> <It's> my word, <laughs> I think that all, all of this, you know, when we sit to eat, are we doing it with intention? Like, we made this meal. We're going to enjoy this together. This tastes good. Um, we're watching a movie. I'm going to have some ice cream. Um, are you eating it intentionally with the idea that I want to enjoy this and I'm grateful I have it? Or is it kind of mindless? And I think we've Ooh, all done that too. Yeah. Like there, there is this, you know, this, this mental health area where we are filling ourselves with something because we need to fill ourselves. And that's, that's when we need to kind of step back and go, okay, why am I, <laughs> why am I eating this? Is this, yes. is this a, is this good for my brain? that I'm that I'm treating myself or enjoying this type of pleasure right now or is this taking the place of something else right. that I need to look at I mean and it's hard we all forget I, I mean I I've binged many many times in my life without thinking about while I'm eating and just kind of mindlessly mindless getting yeah. it in there 
Um, but I think any dietitian, any person who's trying to help guide you toward like a healthier body is going to talk about just step back and like, what are you putting in with intention? Yeah. And, and think then about, things, thinking think about, about it. it and thinking about it in a new way to, to see if it still serves you in the same way that you think it does. Right. Cause then it doesn't because become good or bad. It, it becomes like, yeah, do I need this? Why do I feel like I need this right now? Yeah, I'm, this is great. This is what I need right now. Or, you know what, if I wait 10 minutes, then I'm going to be here. And that that would be a better choice for me. You know what I mean? Just like stepping Don't back and thinking. Don't fill up on bread <laughs> if the steak and the mashed potatoes are coming. Oh, my goodness. Right? My children and their bread. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, live, they can live on bread and takis. I know. It's so, it. we want the very best for our kids, for ourselves, for everyone. And so... I think we're always trying to like crack the code. And I think this is what it is. I, I don't think that all of these bad habits and, and shame <laughs> that we have around food, it all comes from a negative intention. I think sometimes it just comes from a place of, I'm going to crack the code. Mm-hmm. I want to figure this out to systematize it or just to make it easy. Like, what do I need to eat to feel good? Right. What do I need to eat to look good, to uh, have enough energy? Like, what's good? What's bad? We're looking and we're searching for a way to answer the the question that maybe is different. <laughs> if I understand you correctly, is different for everyone. And it so, will be different for everyone. So I want to know how this act works practically in your home. Well, I I am a guider. Like I have mm-hmm. no problem telling my son talkies. I don't mind you, you know, I don't deny him talkies. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, talkie company. Like whatever. this is, yeah, we're, we're not, not being sponsored, but um, no shade to talkies. No, everybody loves I them. like a talkie mm-hmm. now and then. But like, I have no problem saying, you cannot live on Takis. Like, show them the ingredients. Like, this this is sometimes food. This is like, yeah. you know, a, a treat or whatever. Um, and it, there's nothing wrong with helping your kids understand, does this make you feel good? Yeah. Like, if you sit and eat that bag of Takis, are you going to feel good later when you have to go to soccer practice? My poor son had to stay home from school a couple of years ago because he had eaten a whole jar of jalapenos the day before. <laughs> and I took oh so gosh. much pleasure in emailing his teacher and saying, Ollie can't come to school today because he ate a whole jar of jalapenos last night and he is... He made a bad choice. He is suffering the consequences today. Oh. And and honestly, like, uh, sometimes they will experience consequences and so yeah. will you. I, yes. I remember cleaning up, you know, middle of the night vomit when my daughter OD'd on sour cream and chive. Oh, potato chips? Uh, Pringles. Pringles. Yeah, she, you know, first time she had had them and she really liked them. They're real great. And and so we we all kind of (laughs) learn through experience. And as as the person feeding the kids, like, it's really okay to say, this is, like, you you have to give them guidance. And we all need a little bit of, like, knowledge about food and about that variety and about that kind of, like, choice, balance, whatever— to help them understand you can't live on this. And so what, what you're choosing to bring into your house, what you're making for dinner, whether they want to eat it or not, is showing them, hopefully, I mean, you know, yeah. you're not just serving like Takis and jalapeno yeah, no. pickles. Um, this is what a healthy meal looks like. And unfortunately, and again, like I'm privileged to have a little bit of knowledge about nutrition and like biology, like how those things affect. Um, and not everyone does. And, and, that's also good to keep in mind. Like, you cannot judge what people are feeding their children. When I lived in Scotland, people put the equivalent of um, Red Bull. There's a drink called Iron Brew. Yeah. Uh, 
in baby bottles. Like oh. I would literally see babies with bottles and it was like the orange iron brew. And, you know, I want to judge that. <laughs> but then um, I also knew people that, that that's kind of all they had access to was what was available at a convenience store. They couldn't get to a grocery store. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't. And so they thought, oh, it's this flavor. Maybe it has some nutritional value. I'll give it to my kid. You know, so you, you can't judge what's available to you. What choices do you have? Are you economically privileged enough to eat expensive fruits and vegetables and whole grains and whatnot? It's expensive to eat well. Yeah. So for those who are thinking, well, I this is the time of year where I, I want to get into better habits. I want to teach my kids better habits or, mm-hmm. or for myself. And I want to be healthy. How do you approach it then without, you know, without getting rid of pleasure mm-hmm. and without introducing shame? <laughs> I think, again, modeling that you're taking pleasure. Like, how pleasure. would you do it? Well, for instance, like our Christmas, Christmas Eve dinner that's coming up. Um, I love it. Oh, I my know. mouth is watering. I'm thinking about <laughs> Um, all the specialty mustards that I like to have that goes along with the ham. Um, But like, I think it's okay for, for me to model, like, I am enjoying this. This is so good. I'm not, I'm not going to make comments about how much food is on our plates or how much food is left over or, um, you know, keep, keep those comments to yourself. If you're a person that feels like you have to verbalize so that people understand that you're not going to overeat, you know, there are people out there that need to talk about food so that everyone knows I'm not I'm not overeating I'm not doing this or oh I'm so full I can't believe I did this yeah that's true the way we talk about it the way we talk about it like try to have only positive comments come out that was so delicious thank you for making that I am enjoying this like those words are they're great they're positive they're a great model to look at this abundance we have you know I'm grateful for this let's enjoy this and then um, other taking pleasure in other things like let's go for a walk after dinner like that for some people that's like <laughs> that's how they balance eating food mentally like oh I ate the food so I have to take a walk but what if you then just reframed your walk and like it feels so good to take a walk yeah, and after you eat enjoy this. a lovely meal yeah, it's it's really a, it's really a mindset, and and that's kind of what I want to help my kids as they develop habits. Like, why why can't you develop habits that feel good, right? Like, right. oh, this feels good. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take walks after meals because it feels good, not because I have to work off what I just ate. I know I hate that because just like let it be a day. Like, oh just my goodness, let it, let, it's let it such be what it is. Pleasure. <laughs> it is, and I love that you that you're framing this in a different way that, because. It's going to look different in every family yep. for each of how, how you express that. Mm-hmm. It will look different, and that's okay. And I'm thinking back to when my late husband had a feeding tube, right? Oh. Because he needed nutrients, mm-hmm. because he couldn't swallow or eat fast enough uh, because of his, his disease of ALS, and swallowing became really problemsome. So just to help him take the pressure off of eating mm-hmm. because there was this pressure to get so many calories into him um, with different kinds of really, really high caloric food, you know, because every bite mattered. Right. Um, he, he, he didn't um, know what to do about that. So when he got his feeding tube, um, the pressure to eat 
came off. And so he was able just to put a bite, <laughs> you know, or a spoonful of what he really, really wanted. Hmm. And um, so that totally changed the way that like, that I saw food and eating and that kind of pleasure. Right. And a, a lot of times he would say, oh, you know, that smells really good. I wish I could have that. And, you know, he couldn't have it because he couldn't swallow it because it was very dangerous. He could, mm-hmm. you know, have fixation. And and so um, I I remember thinking, wow, what a privilege it is to put something in your mouth and to taste it, to be able to chew it, to, be able to, to chew. swallow, to enjoy. Like right. the whole process of eating, we 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 look at it as a problem. And if we can reframe it as just like this privilege, you're right. It does bring this gratitude of, oh, that was really, what what a great experience, you know, for having this body and being able to enjoy it in this way. And these different flavors and textures and varieties, I think that can help us enjoy that. And somehow, I don't know how we got this to this place in our society where we look at at eating as a problem right. to be solved. Instead of, <laughs> we're grateful we can eat today. And it's such a pleasure to to do it. And and we don't need to pass on these kinds of attitudes um, of, of a problematic, no. uh, you know, foods or eating if or we, guilt. And, and as we intentionally decide, I'm going into this holiday season, I'm looking forward to my neighbor's homemade caramels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to um, our Christmas Eve dinner, um, but as but as we kind of look forward and have those like I'm intentionally going to enjoy that, then intentionally make a plan for the things that you want to moderate. Right. Yeah. Like um, I'm going to share those caramels with my mom. Right. Like or I'm yeah. going to uh, if as people bring and this is always a problem is people bring treats to your house mm-hmm. or whatnot. Like. Take a moment to enjoy them, but if it's not good for the healthiness of your body, uh, find a way that you can pass it on or that you can just simply like take gratitude in the moment and write them a thank you note, you know, like have that be like your intention rather than feeling like you have to consume the whole plate of whatever if that's not what you want to do. And um, and again, like having an intention of this is what I want to model for my kids this holiday of like, I want to show them all these things that are worth enjoying, that are that are pleasurable and, and we're privileged to have them. Um, make sure you're modeling that good stuff too. Absolutely. It, it brings people, it just brings people together. Food, food is enjoyed socially so often and what a shame if it can't be. And 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 it sometimes it is for people. It's a sh- the shame they can't enjoy it together. But you know, model that. Enjoy food together. Enjoy the tradition. Enjoy the pleasure of it. I love it, Carrie Ann Rhodes, friend of the Lisa Show. You've got great experience in this, and I appreciate you sharing your stories about food and really how how it can be an expression of gratitude. It's fun to talk about. I will always talk about food. It's so great with you, especially. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. The show is hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and is produced by McKay Menden, Becca Hurley, Tabitha Freitas, Michael Combs, Kaya Dibb, and Brooke Soldani. Music and post-production was done by Sam Clausen and Josh Fouts. We're neck deep in the production of the next series of The Lisa Show about body image. In the meantime, make sure you go back and listen to our entire 11-part series on self-care. And we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook to tell us what you want to hear us cover next.